Well, this week we read through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's such a great book because there's so much instruction for our Christian living in this book. Because Paul's writing to a church that had, gosh, it had gone astray in so many different ways, and he has to correct their way of living. And, and what amazes me about this book is you think about everything that the Corinthian church was going through. Okay, I mean, this is how messed up the church got. There, there were guys getting involved in prostitution. So they're dealing with prostitutes. They're dealing with sexual immorality in, in a gross way where, where guys were sleeping with their stepmothers. They're suing one another. They're, 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 they're even involved in idolatry. During communion, they're getting drunk. Um, there's, they're, they're even teaching theology like that there's no resurrection from the dead. Okay, so, so think about this. Think about a church where prostitution's going on, sexual immorality, they're suing each other, they're getting drunk during communion, don't even believe in the resurrection. I mean, all of this craziness. And what surprises me is that the first thing Okay, the first thing that Paul addresses. Okay, think about that whole list I just told you and think what would, what would be the first thing you would say to a church like that? And yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? So, so the very first thing that Paul addresses, you know, while we would look at that list and go, these are some major, major issues, yet Paul starts off his letters and he goes, man, please, let's not be divided. Because I hear that there's quarreling, that some are, some are following Paul, some are following Paul. You're, you're lifting up these names of people. And he says, and there's divisions among you. And he goes, I didn't die for you. You weren't baptized into my name. Stop talking about me. Stop talking about Cephas. Stop talking about Apollos. This is about Christ. And we can't be divided. I guess when I read that, it just shocks me because in my mind, I look at the list of things that are going wrong with this church and I just don't think that division is the first thing I would address. Um, but if you study this book, you see that this is a theme that leads through the whole book. Um, Paul continues later on in that in uh, verse 17 when he says, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of his power. Again, he's saying, this is not a competition. I am not trying to out-preach Apollos. I'm just trying to preach the gospel of Christ. I want the cross to be central so, so no one looks at me. So stop talking about me. Stop talking about Apollos. Let's remember what this is all about. 
and really the rest of the book is he addresses all of these issues, but it continues in this theme of unity. It continues in this theme of let's not be divided. We must be united. This must be about love. I mean, look in chapter 3. This this is kind of a stunning passage when he says uh, in verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So, so he's explaining that, and the, and the important thing about this passage, I think, is that that word you is plural. Do you, plural, not know that you, you know, like, like they say in the South, y'all. Do, do you not know that y'all are God's temple singular. He's not saying that all of you are God's temples plural, but but in this passage he's saying, don't you get it, that all of you, you collectively form one temple and that God's spirit dwells among you. So when you gather together to form this temple, you collectively form one temple and God's spirit actually dwells in you. It's like that Old Testament temple where where you've got the Holy of Holies and God himself would dwell in the midst of it. It was a powerful, powerful picture. And he says, don't you get it? Now in the New Testament, you form that temple. You collectively, and then he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you, plural, are that singular temple. God looks at his church. God looks at those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, as we talk about in the the book of Romans, those of us who believe we've been justified that we've been made right, that we're no longer enemies and we're one with him because of Christ. He says that we form this temple and that this temple to God in God's eyes is holy. It's sacred. It's so sacred. He says that if anyone tries to destroy it, God will destroy him. Just dwell on that for a second. And we should give us joy. We should be thrilled to think that we could be a piece of something where the Holy Spirit dwells. And that God is so protective of us, united as his temple, that he would destroy anyone that tried to destroy us. It's a powerful picture. But this is what God wants is this temple this unity. That's why, you know, when Paul says, why are you guys suing one another? And, you know, in, in chapter 6, he's saying, why, why, why are there lawsuits uh, amongst one another? And he asks a very important question. You know, in verse uh, 7 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. And he asks this question, why not rather suffer wrong why not rather be defrauded see you guys are fighting for your rights he goes wouldn't you rather be wronged 
wouldn't you rather someone take advantage of you? I mean, you think about it. If, if we believe in this resurrection and we believe that we are going to actually be rewarded for anything we suffer, he goes, then wouldn't you rather be the one that was taken advantage of? See, again, he goes, you, you, you guys are divided because you're fighting over this, fighting over that. Everyone's fighting for their rights, and now you're taking, now you're suing one another in front of unbelievers. He goes, when well, we're supposed to give a picture of a united temple. And he goes, I mean, if you believe everything that we teach, wouldn't you rather be the one who is wronged rather than the one that's actually ripping off his brother? He continues, and in, uh, in chapter 8, Again, is this same theme about these people that aren't looking out for one another um, with the food that's offered to idols. He says in chapter uh, 8, verse 1, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This quote-unquote knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. He's saying, okay, there, there are these arrogant people that were just saying, okay, these guys were saying, I can't eat this food because it was sacrificed to idols. That's what I used to do is I would, they would, they would eat the, these, uh, you know, this meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And they believed that as they ate it, they were like consuming these spirits and they were communing with these spirits. And so the people that were more sound theologically were going, well, that's stupid. That's not really taking place. And so they would just eat the meat and say, just eat the meat. Don't worry about it. And, and so Paul's saying, you guys, okay, look, this, this is causing problems. Okay, when these guys eat this meat, it brings them back to their old life. And, and they start feeling some of these things. And, and yes, you're right. It's just a piece of meat. But he says, look, your knowledge is all about arrogance of, of oh, I know this. I know that. He goes, your problem is you don't love. You're not even thinking about your brother and what it's doing to them and, and how it's taking him back into this old way of living and it's, and it's bringing back and conjuring up these thoughts of demons and the evil that was in his life. And he goes, you don't know anything. If you really knew, if you really had knowledge, you would love. Because this kind of knowledge where you flaunt all this, you know, Bible wisdom, um, all that does is puff you off. It builds you up. But if you really loved, then you'd be building other people up. In uh, chapter 10, he talks about how we're all baptized into one body. Again, he doesn't want division. Um, and then the, the fact that they're getting drunk at communion uh, in chapter 11 and they're not looking out for one another. I mean, people are going hungry and others are feasting. And he says, what, what kind of communion is this? He goes, I'd rather you guys not get together. When you get together, it's not even for the good. It's worse. Just don't get together if you're going to have divisions like this and if you're not going to care for one another. That's the whole point of communion is that we're sharing in the body and blood of Jesus. It's, it's to make him central again. 
And then once you get to, to chapter 12, um, now they're fighting over spiritual gifts. Now they're competing for airtime. When they get together, everyone wants to talk. Everyone wants to show off their gifts. And what Paul says in, uh, in chapter 12, verse 7, he says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He goes, don't you understand why God gave you this manifestation of the Spirit? See, people were showing up and everyone was saying, hey, I speak in tongues, I speak in tongues. No, listen to me, listen to me. And it was just chaos. And he says, listen, this is, this is about building one another up. This is about God giving you a supernatural gift for the common good. And he makes it so clear in verse 12. And he says, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. He's explaining, he goes, it's just like your human body. You've got all these different parts, but they're all the members of one body. So again, here's this theme. Don't you get, you all are supposed to become one temple. Let me take it even deeper. You're, you're like all parts of one body. And, and he says, look, the foot, verse 15 the foot shouldn't say, look, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong to the body. He goes, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. And, and he starts going through the different body parts. And in verse 21, he says, the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. He, he continues in this this picture, he goes, look, your, your head isn't going to say to, you know, your feet, I, I don't need you. You think about what he's saying. We can't in the body look at one another and say, I don't really need that guy. I don't really need her to be a part of the body. He says, you would never do that. He goes, look at, think of the imagery. Think of this picture of your own human body, would your head ever say to your feet, I really don't need you? And he says, that's the way it ought to be in the church. We should look at every single person who is a part of this temple and never say to them, I really don't need you here. But instead, that there should be this dependence and I love the way he says it in verse 25, that there be no division in the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the picture that we're supposed to give to the world that we are members of one body, the body of Christ. We don't say, just like we don't say to our human body, I don't need certain parts. But if one part suffers, we all suffer. You are the body of Christ 
and individually members of it. And that's why he goes on in chapter 13. He says, look, I don't care if you speak in tongues. I don't care if you speak in tongues of men and angels. If you don't have love, you're just making noise. He goes, I don't care if you have faith to where you can move mountains. Great, you can do miracles, but you don't have love. He goes, then you're nothing. And he goes, even if I sacrifice and I give everything up to be burned, my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. And there's that beautiful, beautiful passage where he just walks through 1 Corinthians 13, just what love is. This is what it's about. And so he continues and speaking about uh, tongues, he goes, quit, quit just lifting yourself up. Quit being about you. Even the gifts you were given, they were for the common good. In verse 12 of chapter 14, so with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. This is what the book of 1 Corinthians is about. He's telling this church, you're all divided. Everyone's looking out for themselves. You're thinking about your individual needs when God saved you to be a part of a body. And it's about love. So I don't care how gifted you are, how wonderful you think you are, and how you have all of these gifts. He says it it means nothing, and you'll get no reward from it unless you're doing it out of love to build up the body. God's desire is for this unity. And I get it. I I get that this this podcast is to encourage people to get alone with the Word of God, where no one else is around. It's just you and God, and you're reading His Word, and you're communing with His Word. But as you study His Word alone, it should be clear to you that God's desire then is that He wants you to be a part of a body. That you can't just be a hand or an eye or an ear just off on its own. That makes no sense. He made you to be part of a body. And so while it is critical for you to have a personal relationship with Jesus, where when no one else is around, you know that you know him and you are known by him, that you love him and that you're loved by him, that you speak to him and he answers your prayers. And when you read the word, something comes alive in you. But what that ought to do is lead you with everything that's in you to desire to be part of a body and deeply connected to a body and that you have gifts that God has given you so that you can be a part of the body and build it up. And so if there's any divisiveness in you, then maybe you're, you're, you're at home listening to this or you're just reading the word by yourself and you're not a part of body because you're angry at this person, angry at that person. Just understand God hates that. They were in amidst a church that was filled with immorality, bad theology, selfishness, suing each other, just prostitution. Amidst all of that, he's saying, but here's the problem is you don't love. You're not unified. 
God's desire, what he wants of me and of you, is for us to be part of a body and show the church what it looks like when God's people are united with Christ at the head, communion being central and bringing us all back together to be one. He wants to show the world a group of people that when one hurts, they all hurt and they all join together. And I, I pray that you would get alone. And if you are not a part of a church body, beg God to make you a part of this because this is his will for you.